you can work hard to live the more life. But if you don't manage your emotions, the abundant life will never be fully attained or sustained. This message is the second in the series, I Will Reset. The message is entitled, Resetting Your Emotions, Part 1. Here is Pastor Dale Shields. Grab your Bibles and your teaching sheets this morning as we get ready to dive into God's Word together. We're involved in a series of messages that we've been uh, really looking at actually for quite a length of time in terms of the larger perspective of series, but just started this particular element of the series last weekend talking about learning how to reset your life in a series called Made for More. How do you reset your life? One of the things that's important to remember is that when God brought you into his kingdom, when you made a commitment to give your life to Jesus Christ, there was this moment that you were ushered into a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. And in that kingdom, God has a plan and a purpose for you, a very clear purpose for your life. And this plan is incredible. Jesus described it in a number of different places. One of those places is a very powerful verse in John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus said that the thief, that's the devil, comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come so you can have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly, the more abundant life. And that little phrase captured me a a number of months ago, that phrase, more abundant, It's the phrase that really signifies the heart of God toward you and me, that he wants you and I to experience not just an abundant life, but a more abundant life. To enter into this more abundant life, you and I have to make some choices along the way. It doesn't just automatically happen to us. There are things that we have to do. There are ways that we have to cooperate with God. And so we're investigating some of those ways that we have to cooperate with God to experience this more life. One of those things that you will have to do as a part of your spiritual journey, if you're going to experience the more life, is you have to learn how to reset your life along the way. Resets are important. Just like as I used last weekend, the illustration of technology, your computer, that's, there are times that your computer or your smartphone is just not operating the way it needs to and something has gone amiss, and you have to hit the reboot or the restart or the reset button that gets it back into right operating systems and right operating order. And the same is true with your life. You have to learn how to reset your life because life puts lots of demands on you from time to time. And there are all kinds of things that happen to you and around you. And if you can't get back to center, can't get back to reset, then you're going to be in really big trouble. So we have to learn how do we reset life. And so in this part of the series, we're talking about how to reset, how to manage certain things in life, how to make sure you can get back to the center on things that are uh, critical to your spiritual journey. And one of those areas that you and I need to know how to reset is the area of our emotions, because all of us have emotions, we all have feelings. Everybody feels things at times. Sometimes you wake up in the morning and say, hey, I feel good today, it's going to be a great day. And other days you wake up and say, I don't feel so good today. It's not just physically, it's just the emotional element of it. And so we, we have to learn how to handle the ups and downs, the vicissitudes of emotions that happen in your life from any day-to-day experience. And so how do you manage these things? How do you manage them well? And how do you reset to get your emotions where they need to be? Because emotions are very powerful. They're very powerful. They can drive decisions in your life. They can actually hijack your thinking and make you think and move you down a pathway of thinking that is unhealthy. They can 
uh, set atmospheres around you. Your emotions can do all kind of negative things to you. And while they may seem to be kind of mysterious, as I don't know why I feel the way I feel, sort of a mystery to them, if we begin to investigate them a little more closely, we realize that, that feelings are not mysterious at all. Actually, if we, we begin to understand our feelings a bit better, we can see how to actually harness them in the right way and in the right direction for the glory of God. So what I'm going to do this weekend and next weekend as well. I'm going to talk to you about uh, some things that will help you to really reset emotions and some biblical principles because the Bible teaches us uh, how to live our lives practically. The Bible is not just a a high-in-the-sky, by-and-by book. It's a book that gets down to the real nitty-gritty of the way we live. And so let me share with you four things that the Bible teaches us regarding our emotions, and we'll continue again, as I said, the same theme next weekend. The first thing you must understand is that you are responsible responsible for your emotions. This is the beginning point for an emotional reset any time in your life when your emotions are leading you down a pathway or they've got a hold on you in some way that is maybe strangling you or directing you in a way that is detrimental to your life. You have to come back to this reality that I am responsible for my emotions. Why is this important? This is important because primarily one of the main reasons is because the reality is is that we have this tendency to blame other people for our feelings, don't we? Right? That so often in life we say, you made me feel this way. You made me angry. You made me sad. You made me. And so we use the you directed toward another person. And when we direct it toward another person, then it takes the responsibility off of us. And so the beginning point of understanding how to deal with these elements of of emotions is to accept responsibility ourselves for. We can not only blame people, we can blame circumstances. I wouldn't be this way had it not been for that circumstance. I would not be this way or feel this way had it not been for that environment. So it's this blame game that we have the tendency to engage in. There's a story in the Bible that really helps us to understand this blame game and how it, how it works, how it operates in all of our lives, and it's really a great pattern for us to learn from. It's found in the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapter 4 is what I'm going to read in just a moment, but before I read Genesis chapter 4, let me sort of set the stage for you. It's the story of Adam and Eve's two sons, Cain and Abel. Everybody remember Cain and Abel? All right? Okay. Well, Cain and Abel had grown up. And they were now responsible young men on their own, and they had responsibility before God to to give offerings to God. And one day, Cain and Abel came to present offerings to God. Cain brought just some fruit of the ground. He didn't think much about his offering. It's sort of something he threw together. It wasn't his best offering. And Abel took it seriously. He brought the best offering he could and one of the first fruits of his flock. So he brought a blood offering, a blood sacrifice to God. And God looks down upon these, these, these gifts that, that Cain and Abel brought before God. And God says, Cain, your offering is not acceptable. You're not even bringing me your best, okay? You didn't even think about what you were doing here. You just brought whatever you could throw together. But Abel's offering is acceptable to me. So what happened in that moment was Cain became jealous of Abel and probably mad at God and certainly mad at Abel. And we all know where it ended. He ended up killing his brother. It's the first murder in the Bible. But let me show you what's going on here in Genesis chapter 4. I'll begin in verse number 3. And uh, let's take a look at the emotional element of this. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. 
Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very, what's the next word there? What is anger? Anger is an emotion. It's a feeling, right? So this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. So again, this is all over his face. He's wearing his feelings on his sleeves. Everybody can see that this guy is upset about something here, okay? Upset about the situation. So why are you so angry? The the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must, what's the next phrase there? Subdue it and be its master. So God says to Cain, Cain, you're in in dangerous territory right now because anger is in you and you are blaming it on me and and on Abel, but the real issue is with you. You need to accept the responsibility to deal with this, so it's your job to subdue it, and it's your job to master it. What I want you to know today is that whatever emotions you have in life, I mean, there's some exceptions related to this because of certain physical or psychological disorders, but generally speaking, the day-to-day function of life, when you have emotions you are responsible for managing those emotions. It's not somebody else's job to make you happy. Are you with me here? It is not somebody else's job to resolve your anger. It's not somebody else's job to make you encouraged all the time. It's not somebody else's job to make sure that something that's going in you doesn't control you. That's why God said to Cain, this thing is on you You need to get a handle. Sin is crouching at the door. You need to subdue it, and you need to master it. So the first thing you must understand, as well as I, is to understand that when you feel certain things in life that are negative or destructive, it is your responsibility to handle them. It's not someone else's. It is yours. Your responsibility is for your own emotions. Number two, the second thing to understand is that your emotions are connected to your thinking. Your emotions are connected to your thinking. I've, uh, I've used an illustration before and drawn it actually on, on, a, on the clear board here. I don't have the board with me this weekend, but I'll explain it to you again. When God made you and me, He made us as in, in the image of God. You're made in God's image. And God is, is one, but He's also three, three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so you're created in God's likeness, and so in so being, you have a spirit, you are spirit, you are soul, and you are body. So all three of those things are working together, and they, they interrelate, they're inter, uh, interdynamic in the way that you, your, your world works. If something happens in your body, it, it can affect your emotions. If something happens in your emotions, it can affect your spiritual life. And so all these things work together, spirit, soul, and body. And we often think when it comes to God that God's only concerned about our spirit. That's our relationship with Him. And indeed He is, and we'll talk a bit about that in just a moment. But God is also very concerned about your soul. And the primary function of your soul, or the three primary functions of your soul, that's your thinking, your thoughts, your feelings, and your decisions. Okay, that's what happens in your personalities, where you think, it's where you feel, it's where you make decisions. Mind, will, and emotions is another way to say it, okay? So your thinking goes on in your soul, which affects your spirit and your body as well. Now, as we study Scripture, we begin to realize that God made it very clear that your thinking 
is what is the primary source of your feelings, okay? What you think is what you feel, okay? For example, let's say that you watch a very, very sad movie, and it's a very sad storyline, and you know absolutely that it's fiction, it's totally made up, it's not real at all, it's just they shot it on a Hollywood stage somewhere, but you're watching the movie, and about three-quarters of the way, you're just crying your eyeballs out, okay? Now, from a logical standpoint, would we call that illogical, right? It's not even true, okay? It's tapping into a thought process in you that's creating emotions in you, uh, but it's the thought, what you're thinking, and how you're processing the storyline that's tapping now into emotions that are part of you. And so your thinking always affects your feeling and what you think. That's why it's so important that you get your thinking right. If your thinking is not right, your emotions will never be able to line up. And so when your emotions get out of whack, then the reset button is to go back, not first to your emotions, but go back to your thinking. Listen to what Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. This is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them I have tried to stimulate your wholesome, what's the word there, thinking, and refresh your memory. Peter says, I wrote two letters to you guys, and in both of these letters I've had one primary objective. I wanted to make sure that I stimulated or I awakened in you, I reset in you wholesome thinking. The word wholesome there is a word that means warmed by the sunlight. That's the basic meaning of the Greek word. It also means to be purified, to be washed and clean, to be healthy and to be well-ordered. It's the well-being of your mind. And so here Peter says, I wrote these things to you to awaken you, to stimulate you so that you would think in a more wholesome way and to refresh your memory about these things. Now, wholesomeness. When you, just that word. Don't you like that word, wholesomeness? Wholesome. I like that word. It's a great word. I think I'll get a t-shirt with that word on. I like that. Okay. Wholesome. It's a good word. Wholesome. Wholesome just speaks of health. It speaks of just vibrancy. It speaks of being alive. It speaks of just good. Just good. Wholesome. But I promise you there are a lot of things that will try to get in your head that will produce the opposite of wholesome. There are things that are coming at you all the time. There are conversations you have with people. There are things that you hear on the media. There are things that you will get just by what you read, by the environment that you're in. There's this stuff that is coming at, coming in through your eye gate, your ear gate, which is the gate to your soul. Your eyes are the gate to your soul. Your ears are the gate to your soul, to your thinking. And so this stuff comes in. And here's the key. If you don't have a filter, everybody say filter. If you don't have some filters in place, just whatever comes will end up dumped down here, okay? And when it gets dumped down here, don't be surprised at what you feel because you're going to feel all kind of things internally that are not so good necessarily because you didn't put a filter in place. And so God says, I want you to have a filter, filter in your mind, a proper filter. Paul talks about this filter in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Listen to what he said. I'm going to read from contemporary English version here. Finally, my friends, keep your minds on whatever is true. Let's read this together. Whatever is true, pure, right, holy, friendly, and proper. Don't ever stop thinking about what is truly worthwhile and worthy of praise. Let's continue to read with me. You know the teachings I gave you, and you know what you heard me say and saw me do. 
So follow my example, and God who gives peace will be with you. Now, in these two verses, I'm going to start at the back end of the verse, the end of the verse, and work our way forward, because there's a very legitimate reason to do that. The end of the verse, Paul talks about the God who gives peace being with you. Peace is an emotion. Peace is a feeling. You know when you feel at peace, don't you? Okay. You feel it on the inside. So the end result here is to feel, to live in the peace of God. There's an emotion that goes with it. Peace is not just an emotion, but it's, it, part of it is an emotion. But to get to this place where we're living in the peace of God, we've got to back into the message a bit more here and see how do we get there. And Paul says the way you get there is by doing what I do, okay, by living the way I live. That's what he said in verse number nine. You know the teachings I gave you, you know how you heard me say and saw me do. Follow my example. So he says, this is what I do. Now back up a little bit further in verse number eight, and he told us what he did. He said, keep your minds on whatever is true and uh, true and pure and right and holy and friendly and proper. Don't ever stop thinking about what is worthwhile and worthy of praise. He gives us eight words there that, that signify the filters that need to be in your life, starting with whatever is true. You know, a lot of stuff that will try to make it into your mind isn't even true. You begin to think a thought, that person doesn't like me. And you begin to buy into that thought, they don't like me. I know they don't like me. Every time I walk by them, they they turn the other way. And so you build in your mind this thought, they don't like me. And so before long, what are you feeling toward that person? You're feeling animosity toward them or certainly insecurity around them. You're feeling all these feelings. And you haven't even stopped and said, hey, by the way, do you like me? Oh, yeah, I think you're awesome. And so many times we build these cases in our mind that aren't even true at all. We've built up something here that doesn't exist, and so it affects our emotions. So he says, make sure that, that you think about whatever is true and pure and right and holy and friendly and proper and worthwhile and worthy of praise. That's the way you have wholesome thinking in your life. You put on some filters. You utilize filters in your thinking. And by the way, this is not an easy thing to do initially. It takes some effort on your part, but the payoff is worth it. Number three, third things. <clears throat> third principle that we see here about resetting emotions. Your emotions are affected by your spiritual life. When you drift spiritually, anytime you drift spiritually, your thoughts and your feelings are going to drift too. That's worth writing down for you, okay? Anytime you drift spiritually, your thoughts will drift and your, and, your, and your emotions will drift spiritually as well. You can't just like ignore your spiritual life and hope that your emotional life stays strong and well because they're all tied together. And so to reset your emotions, many times what you have to do is go back and take a look at your spiritual life. How am I doing in my relationship with God? How am I doing with Him? Am I, am I spending any time with Him? As when was the last time I opened up the Bible and let God speak to me through His Word? When was the last time I got down on my knees and spent some time with God in prayer, opened myself up to Him? When was the last time I, I allowed God to do a work in my life that was, that was needful for me? That is, where am I in my relationship with God? 
Because with God, there is peace. Without God, you will never have peace, okay? You might have moments of happiness. That's why the world is always looking for another party, okay? The world's always looking for another party. Why? Because the last party wore off, okay? And so if my last party wore off, I got to have another party because I need some more happiness. And so if you're living a party lifestyle, let me just tell you today, maybe you didn't come to hear this, I'm going to tell you anyway, okay? If you're living a party lifestyle, it represents a shallow life. And I'll tell you one thing, you get in love with God, you don't need a lot of parties. You got a party inside of you, okay, all right? Okay. And I have no idea why I just said that, okay? Somebody needed to hear, okay? But with God, there's peace. That's where you maintain your peace, relationship with God. In the book of Revelation, Jesus spoke to a group of people. It was a very it was a specific church, the church at Ephesus. And this is, uh, this is Jesus, the resurrected Savior. He's giving John the apostle a revelation uh, from heaven. And John is on the Isle of Patmos. I don't have time to go into all the detail of that. But here's this message that Jesus gave to this particular church because they had drifted. Revelation 2, 4, and 5, New Century Version. But I have this against you. Anytime God starts out with that statement, pay attention. I have this against you. You have left the love you had in the beginning. Or one translation says you have deserted your first love. So remember where you were before you fell. Change your hearts. Is that verse on your Bible, by the These verses on your... Okay, would you circle that phrase, change your hearts? I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Change your hearts and do what you did at first. If you do not change, I will come to you and will take away your lampstand from its place. A lot of stuff we could say about this, but what basically is going on here is that Jesus said to this church, this group of believers, you have lost your first love for me. You don't love me like you used to. And because you don't love me like you used to, you have drifted and you're in danger of your spiritual light going out. And then he gave them the solution. And the solution is what I asked you to circle a moment ago. Change your hearts. Say that with me. Change your hearts. You say, how in the world can I change my heart? Well, that word in other translations, it's rendered in a more contemporary way here. But in other translations, it's one word. And that word is repent. Say that word with me. Repent. That word is not used a lot uh, in our culture today because I think there's some... Um, Ideas about the word that sort of hell and brimstone and like, oh, repent or perish, that kind of concept. But repent or repentance is a very important biblical word. It's really important. You need to know how to repent. Every person, you need to understand what repentance is. Because repentance is not, repentance is turning away. It's doing a 180. That's all it is. I'm going along the path this way. And then I stop and realize, oh, that's wrong. And I repent. I do a 180, and I go back this way. Okay? That's what it means to change your heart. And so when you're drifting from God at any level, then you're kind of slipping. Sometimes we don't like run away from God in, in an aggressive way. Sometimes we just sort of like drift away from God. And God has to stop us and say, reset. How do you reset? Repent. Repent means that you own up. You say, God, yep, you're right. I, I need to change this in my life and now God I realize out of my sorrow for having 
drifted from you, I'm turning back around and going in your direction. But repentance is a powerful thing for resetting your emotions. If you don't learn how to repent, you're going to have some trouble throughout your life keeping your emotions and your life in order as it needs to be. Number four, final thing today. Our emotions are impacted by our experiences and our exposures. Who I am exposed to, what I experience in life, these things affect my emotions. Let's start with the who for a moment. There are certain people that are really good to be around, and there are other people that are not good to be around. Because when you get around them, what happens is, is they, their emotional stuff spills over on you, okay, right? Their emotional garbage gets on you because they have so much emotional garbage, whether it's anger or whatever it might be, but they're carrying all this garbage with them. And so once they get around you, it spews over you. It's like being around someone who is nauseated and vomiting and they're sick. And so they can't help. But what they're going to do is that when you're with them, they're going to have a few of those episodes and some of it's going to end up on you. You with me here? And so then it begins, what happens is who you're around affects who you become. And your future is really determined by your friends. It's been said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. How true that is. But your future is really determined by the people that you're closely associated with. And so there's no way in life that you and I can avoid difficult people all the time. You can't. They're just in the world, okay? I mean, you know a difficult person. Don't raise your hand, okay? They might be the one beside you. Don't do that, okay? All right? All right? But they're like, they're just difficult, okay? Whatever you do, they're just difficult, okay? And you can't fix them. It's not even your job to fix them, but you have to interact with them. That's, there'll be a certain number of people like that. But you don't want to make that group your inner circle because that inner circle, then it'll keep... I know people who they, they live in emotional turmoil... Not so much because of what's going on with them, but what's going on with the people around them, okay? Right? And there's just so much drama around them that the drama gets into them, okay? One of the favorite t-shirts I've ever seen. I was visiting a hospital many years ago, and a kid walked in with my favorite t-shirt. It said, save the drama for your mama. I love that, okay? <laughs> right? right? So many times in life, we got it's like, chill out. I don't need this drama in my life, right? It's called boundaries, okay? They're boundaries. That you, and I'm not saying to be unloving or unkind or mean to anyone, but I'm saying that in the inner circle of your world, your emotions are too valuable just to subject to the trash of other people. Amen? You've got to learn how to do this. Okay? And the same with environments that you're in. You have to learn how to manage those kinds of things. I'm going to give you a story. And I'm going to touch on this story very briefly today, semi-briefly today, because I am going to come back to this particular story and another message that I'm going to do in this series that will focus in on another aspect or another element of this. And so I'm just going to touch on one part of this today. It's the story of Elijah. I need to give you a little bit of background on the story of Elijah. So you're going to read about Elijah's story in 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19, and, and continuing on. But let me just give you a little bit of history. Elijah was uh, a prophet in Israel, and he, um, 
he was, he, was, he was a prophet during the time of a king by the name of Ahab and his wife Jezebel. If you know anything about biblical history, Ahab, very bad king. Jezebel, obviously, just a wicked, uh, demonic person. Okay? They were into the worship of Baal, and so because they hated Elijah, Elijah was always prophesying against idolatry, they wanted to kill Elijah. They did everything possible to kill him. Elijah prophesied a famine in the land, and ultimately this culminates in chapter 18 with Elijah being on Mount Carmel, and there's this confrontation with Elijah and 450 prophets of Baal, and you can read about the story. It's an incredible story. I don't have time to tell you, but what happened after this is that now after the 450 prophets of Baal have been destroyed by Elijah, uh, he's now in danger of his life again. So I want to pick up the story here in 1 Kings chapter 19. You guys got a little bit of that history at least, okay? A little bit. Two of you do. That's great. All right. Here's the story now. After all that happened, Mount Carmel, etc., notice uh, chapter 19, verse 2. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was, what's the next word there? Circle that word on your notes. What was Elijah? What is fear? It's a feeling. It's an emotion, right? You with me? Okay. Elijah was afraid, so this is an emotion, and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. There he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Anyone ever prayed that prayer? I've had enough. And then he adds to it, take my life. For I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Let me stop there just for a moment and then we'll continue in the passage and wrap up this message today. Elijah had gone through three, we know at least three years of being pursued by Ahab and Jezebel. He had to hide at a couple of different places during this time. During that period of time, God had to supernaturally feed him. And so it had been a very stressful three, three and a half period of time. Uh, He goes into this encounter with the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel. That had been a highly emotional experience. He's having to trust God to show up. I mean, it's it's an intense environment when you are one person against 450 prophets of Baal. And so he felt the emotions of that. He's coming out of that experience, having to run from Jezebel and Ahab again. And now he's worried about his life. And he gets finally to the point, running out into the wilderness, he just lays down under a tree and says, I've had enough. I'm spent. My emotions are gone. I don't have anything else to give. I'm gone. I'm out of it. God, would you kill me? That was the prayer he prayed. God, kill me. Let me say something here. Elijah was not suicidal. Elijah was not thinking about taking his life. He was praying for God to kill him. I bet you prayed that way before too, haven't you? God, heaven looks real good right now, right? Heaven looks real good like it. I want to digress for a moment and make a very important statement. Suicide is never the will of God for your life. Okay. I want to remind you that because there's a lot of debate in our world today about it. There's a lot of conversation about it. But you must understand that suicide, taking your own life, is never God's will for your life. And I will tell you that when you get to those moments when you feel like that you can't go on, know that there's a God that can help you go on. There is always hope in God. There's always hope in God. So Elijah wasn't suicidal. He was just spent. He was just wiped out. He said, God, you know what? I think heaven looks real good right now. I'd like to go ahead and be in heaven. 
And the Bible says in verse 5, Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head were some, was some uh, bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Isn't that incredible? God said, Elijah, what you need right now is you just, you just need to get out of all that environment over there, okay? That environment has worn you out. Those experiences have drained your emotions. Now, you need to spend some time with me. And not only spend some time with me, you just need to take a nap, okay? Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Sometimes the best thing for your grouchy mood is to go to bed, okay? Amen? Right? Amen? Sometimes the best thing for your feelings of depression is to, is to just get away from the things that are wearing you down. Take a little break. And that's exactly what was going on for Elijah. And Elijah then comes out of the situation and God reminds him that he's not the only one in Israel that loves God. There's 7,000 who have not bowed their knees to Baal. He leads them down the pathway to find his helper, Elisha. And it was a very important encouragement for him. But he just had to get him out of those experiences that were wearing him down. So your emotions are always impacted by your experiences and by your exposures. Let's review what we talked about today day, all right? Next weekend, we'll continue. But there are four things you have to understand about resetting your emotions. Who's responsible for your emotions? I am. You are, okay? I am. Your emotions are connected to what? Your thinking. So if you're going to improve your emotions, what must you do with your thinking? Improve your thinking. You got to put some filters in here, right? Okay? Don't just let whatever comes in filter down into what you feel, okay? Put some, put some filters in. What about your spiritual life? Does that affect your emotions? Yeah, when you drift from God, what do you need to do? What was the word we talked about today? Repent, exactly right. So anytime you're drifting, repent. So you don't have to be involved in gross sin to repent. You need to repent about every day, sometimes about every hour of the day, okay? There's something you need to repent from. So I'm not talking about getting off into gross sin somewhere. I'm talking about just repenting in terms of your attitudes, turning it around where you need to, and then to make sure that you're careful about the exposures and experiences of your life. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, we thank you today for your word. We're grateful for the opportunity that we've had to study together. We ask you to take this message and really apply it to our hearts. Lord, we want to reset our emotions, and I pray that today you would help us to do that in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, 
I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.